you do have your Bibles with you, um, as I mentioned, we are going through this series called Following Jesus. And um, the premise of the series is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to pick up where he left off and to carry on his, his name, carry on his mission and his ministry and the message. As we saw last week, uh, Jesus is kind of, well, he's not kind of, he's handed this over to us. And we spent last week in our first part of the series, if you missed it, you can check it out online. There's a link on the website um, about the authority of God. And, and in following Jesus in our life, it has to begin in, in understanding and recognizing the authority of God in our life and in all of life. Um, that He is the God of all creation, that He is the God who owns everything. And whether our name is on it, whether we have uh, claimed it as our own, it all belongs to God according to the Scriptures, including us. Um, and so in following Jesus, we have to begin there. Recognizing His authority. Matter of fact, the Bible points out that in our understanding of God being the authority of over our life and that God is a loving God and a faithful God as we've sung about uh, through these songs, that our response to God's authority is to be one of trust and obedience. The word trust is a word we can uh, change in and out with the word faith. It is simply, I'm going to trust God in what He says. I'm going to trust Him like the air I breathe. I'm going to trust Him like the chair I'm sitting in in this moment, that it's going to hold me. So I'm going to trust the Word of God and in trusting Him, it leads to obedience. And there's a strange feeling when you say that word obedience and you talk about Christianity. It has to be very clear that we're not calling about obedience so that we can prove ourselves to God or we even can show that we deserve our salvation. Instead, obedience to the Word of God, trusting the Word of God, is in response to our salvation. That's why we finish with that song, One Pure and Holy Passion. It's just that, God, make my heart have a passion for you, that I would follow you, I would trust you, I would obey the words you say. The Bible says in John chapter 14 that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And so the beauty of Jesus Christ is he kind of simplifies. He gives us the cliff notes and we ask about what are the commandments of God? Well, we have them on our church van and on our website. It's love God and love people. That's what God wants in our life. He wants us to have a love for God because we're aware of His love for us. And then in that love relationship, that flows out into the people that we encounter. So we love on them. The Bible says that this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And so if we simplify it in that, 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 that arena, that I'm loving God and loving people, and this is how people know that I, in fact, belong to God and am following Jesus. That's recognizing the authority of God and Jesus Christ over my life. And, and so people can see that. The Bible calls that fruit. And what the Bible also reveals is that we as God's people, titling ourselves Christians, we're followers, we're disciples of Christ, is that we now have to fill the sandals or the shoes of Jesus Christ in this world. The church is the body of Christ according to Scripture. So the world is to look at the church to see what Jesus Christ is to be doing. The world is to look at us who call ourselves Christians, meaning that we're little Christ because we're imitating, we're walking, talking, thinking like, acting like Jesus Christ, that people can see Christ coming out of us. And those are big shoes to fill. I mean, He was the Son of God. He was perfect. Now, God knows we can't live up to that expectation, but a lot of us have 
I've understood that idea of big shoes to fill. Back in 2002 of December, man, was, December was a huge month for me and my wife now and, and ultimately our family. December 2002, I graduated from SBU. Two weeks later, I got married to my beautiful wife. You can say amen later if you'd like. Um, she, amen. Thank you, John. All right. To my beautiful wife. And uh, so after I graduated two weeks, got married. And then a week after we got married, I became a full-time youth pastor at a church on the east side of the state of Missouri. I was doing a summer interim that led to a part-time that before I graduated asked me if I would just stay on and be a full-time, which I said yes, because if you can have a job before you come out of college, that's just awesome. And uh, really was enjoying that. And there was a man at that church um, who had been there for over 30 years before I came on staff. He was the pastor of the church for over 30 years. And in the course of that time, he saw this church, which was at one time in a downtown area of that town, moved to the north side and bought a spot of land. And that became under a lot of scrutiny because it was a, a Southern Baptist, First Baptist church. It had its roots in the town. And people say, well, that's where my mama, my grandma, my great, 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 great grandma, that's where they went to church. That's where they were baptized. And so he, he went through a lot of scrutiny. And so his 30 years wasn't always easy. But he saw that church, and when, when I came on board as the part-time, that church would run anywhere from about 100 to 200. In the course of, of over time, we saw that church begin to grow. We're a town of 8,000 people. We were probably impacting 15 to 20% of the town through the different ministries we had going on. Um, and, and even people were driving from 30 miles away coming to hear the Word of God and be involved in the ministries of that church. Well, years passed on, and uh, I heard of his retirement, which I thought was due when I was there, because, you know, as a young guy, I was in my 20s, I thought, man, that guy's old. And, but I respected him. I appreciate him. I still do, the, do to this day. But I heard of his retirement about 10 years ago, and that was after 40-plus years ministering, pastoring at one church. 40-plus years just pastoring at this one church. And I heard of his retirement. I thought, wow, you know, good for him. Great. That's, that's awesome because he was definitely deserving of it. He was just a man of God. Um, but then that second thought came into my mind, which some of y'all experienced a couple years ago, is when a pastor leaves, who's going to fill the shoes? Who's going to step up and take that individual's place? Who's going to... to, to rally around the church and lead the church because when pastors leave whether that's retirement or some other issue one thing that happens with God's people and it's it's biblical though it's not godly is that God's people when they go without a leader or that influential individual what they want to do is they want to shrink back into what they know is safe what they're familiar with it's called self-preservation and I call it the Israelitis you can find it in Exodus God brings them out of slavery, and what do they want to do? This is too hard. Let's go back. Let's go back to Egypt. And so, and so we have that same thing inside of us, is that when God is leading us, whether through a, a pastor or someone else in our life, when that individual leaves, whether they pass on, whether they move on to the next life, whether they just move to another ministry, we have the temptation that we want to shrink back. And I think that's what the disciples did. Jesus was coming and going after his resurrection. If you turn to the Gospel of John at the very end, you don't have to turn there because we're not actually going to look at that passage. But Gospel of John, Jesus finds the disciples fishing. Does anybody know where he found the majority of his disciples? Or at least four of them? Fishing. 
And so they went back to what they knew was familiar. And then Jesus comes in to restore them and redeem them and prepare them for the next step that they have to pick up his mantle. I wish I could say that church that had the pastor for 40 some years just picked up when that pastor left. But the reality is after he retired, and I don't think it's any fault of his, but after he retired, he did what we all want to do. We want to go back to self-preservation. And so that church has gone through four pastors in the last 10 years. And they just come in and they come out. And that's with the pastor transition, pastor search committee, pastor applications going through them, all that stuff. So you all who went through that, you know how long that can take. Four pastors in 10 years. And so they not, have not picked up where this man of God had led them to be and the impact they were having in the community. Matter of fact, that church has gone through numerous splits at this point in time. And this is the danger. Because that's just a pastor. That is a, he was a man of God, but he was still a sinner. But this is the danger of us as God's people who represent God on this earth and not picking up the mantle of Jesus Christ. As things will begin to fall apart. And I think this happened in the 70s and 80s in church life. There was a time where you could build a church and people would come. It was the field of dreams moment, right? That's not the way it is now. We've gotten so unaccustomed to sharing our faith and inviting people to come and hear about Jesus or telling them about Jesus in the places we meet them that now we seem like we don't even know how to do it. Well, it begins by understanding that God's authority reigns over our life and actually everybody's life. At some point in time, every individual we know is going to bow before the Lord and confess Him as Lord. That's going to happen to every individual. And what we have been commissioned with, or in fact commanded with, is to take the, mes the message, the ministry, and the words of Jesus Christ into the world so that they can be on the right side of eternity. If you have your Bibles, we're looking at three different commissions found in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Luke, and the, and the book of Acts. We're going to read all three, and then we're going to use all three and, and hone in on some certain aspects of them. So beginning in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, we'll begin in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth <clears throat> has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the, end of a, to the end of the age. Now jump with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, and we're going to begin in verse 44. Then he, being Jesus, said to them, <coughs> excuse me, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus, is, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power, from on high. And then jump with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Some of y'all may have this passage memorized in verse 8. But you will receive power 
Chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this task you've given us. I thank you for the task you've given me. Father, I'm unworthy to be your representative, to be your minister, but Lord, because of your grace and your mercy, I thank you for this ministry, and I ask that my words be pleasing to you. I ask that our ears as a whole be open this morning to hear you speaking to our hearts, that our hearts will be softened and be ready to respond to you. And I thank you for what you have set aside for us in this time as we open your word, and that your spirit would guide and lead us and take us to the place where we need to be in our relationship with you. Continue to sanctify us, continue to transform us, as we know that is your, your goal in our life. Thank you, Lord, for commissioning us, commanding us to do what needs to be done, and, and just speak to us now so we can know how we can do that to bring you glory. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. If you want to make your way back to Matthew chapter 28, some of y'all may be familiar with these passages. Matthew chapter 28 is what is known as the Great Commission. By the way, just for your own information, Jesus never titled it that. Uh, he did not tell his disciples, hey, I'm going to give you a great commission now, guys. Matter of fact, if you look at the language beginning in verse 19, when Jesus is directing his attention to the disciples, it is, it is more than just a commission, but it would be a great command. And there are two words I really want us to hone in on this morning, and that is the verse, very first two words of verse 19, where it says, go, therefore, and you may have it in your own uh, translation that says, therefore, go. The significance of the order isn't necessarily as important as what is, is implying. The therefore in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 28 is Jesus looking at his, his disciples, those who have been closest to him, and he says, look guys, I have authority. He stated that in verse 18. You have recognized my authority. You have seen my authority in the way I have taught the word of God, in the way I have explained the word of God, in the miracles I have done, in the things that I've done throughout my ministry. You've been witnesses of these things, which is what he calls them to do in Luke chapter 24 and in Acts chapter 1, to be his witnesses. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. He said, because you understand and recognize my authority... Here is what I am calling you and commanding you to do, that my authority is now upon you, and now this is what is expected of you. That's therefore. Is my authority is now upon you, and now you are as a follower of mine, this is now what is going to be expected of you. Jesus has authority. He has revealed his authority to his disciples over life, over death, over sin, over the, the, de the, the depths or death or ah, wages of sin. I'll get the word out. And he's demonstrated that. And what he does now is he says, go, therefore, or therefore, go. And here's where we started. Following Jesus begins to recognize the authority of God. But following Jesus also calls us to action. And this is what I love about the Bible, and this is what I love about God, is God saves us to use us. We see this from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that God wants His people to bring Him glory by the things they're doing in this life. Again, it's what the Bible calls fruit. In the Old Testament, all the nations were to know that He is God by the way God's people were living their life, by the way they were giving sacrifices, by their obedience to the Word of God, by their trusting in the Word of God, basically by His authority over their life. 
That was for the sake of all peoples, of all nations. And so that continues here in the New Testament that God has saved us so that we can be used for his glory, that people in this world would look at us not by our church attendance or what denomination we associate ourselves with, but they would look at us by our actions and know that God's authority is over our life because we are going out in that authority. That is what go implies, is that you are to be a people of action. And we also see this coming into fruition, what God is doing right here in this moment. In the very beginning, the first disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ, we kind of already mentioned, what was their job? Right, they're fishermen. They didn't do that. They, they did the big net thing. They're fishermen. And so Jesus shows up at the very beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. He comes to the Sea of Galilee. He sees Peter out on the boat and he calls out, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And so the beginning of the, the discipleship, the beginning of following Jesus, began by Jesus investing into these men's lives. Investing his truth, investing God's word, spending time with them. But now we come to the very end of Jesus' ministry before he's going to ascend to the heavens. And now instead of come, follow me, what is the command? Go. See, there's a change. Where they spent this time with Jesus, now the expectation is that you're going to go. You're going to put what you have learned you're going to put your knowledge, your understanding of God into action. But this transformation in the three years of this, these men's lives tells us that in following Jesus, it is an action of transformation or an action of change. Jesus invited the disciples to follow him, and now he commissions them to go. This is what God wants to do in your and my life. He calls us into a relationship with him. Kind of what we talked about several weeks ago in the heartbeat, we meet Jesus. And then Jesus matures us in that relationship, ultimately so we can be on mission for the sake of multiplication. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to transform you. It's what the Bible calls sanctification. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, that the will of God is your sanctification. It is your holiness. It's the sanctification begins by recognizing that Jesus, God's authority is over my life, and now I'm going to allow God to transform me. He's going to mold me into what he needs me to be. The beauty of salvation is this. Salvation is instantaneous. Once I come to an understanding of what God did for me and how he loves me, and I accept Jesus Christ and his work, his death and his resurrection, and I accept him and believe him in my heart and confess my mouth. The Bible says, I am saved, signed, sealed, delivered. It's, it's good. But it doesn't stop there. Even though I'm justified, which in the eyes of God means just as if I never sinned in the first place. What God wants to do in our life once we come to salvation is he wants to sanctify us and transform us. He wants to make us into what he needs us to be. And so this is a constant act of discipleship. So we might continue to bring glory to God. We see that sanctification is the heart of God. It's what he's been doing since the beginning. Adam was sanctified, meaning he was set apart for a specific purpose, a holy purpose or a holy service. He was set apart to work and guard the garden. Abram was sanctified or set apart to be a great name and, and to bring forth a great nation. 
We see the nation of Israel was set apart in the Old Testament so that they might bring glory to God by their obedience and trusting in Him so all people would know by their sanctification, by God setting them apart, that He is the one true God. Prophets were set apart to call out to the people of God to repent and return to God. Jesus was set apart to do the will of God so we might be saved. And now God says, if you're following Jesus... An action that you are called to do is the action of transformation. The beauty of it is it's not by our own power. It's not by our own will. It's simply that I am submitting to God and say, God, have your way with me. Mold me, shape me into what you need me to be. Set me apart for your glory. Set me apart for your work. Set me apart for what you want to do in my life. And this is a continuous act that God is doing in our life until the moment that we go home. The Bible says that we have been sanctified or set apart by God through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And how this happens is in John 17, 17 and 17, 19, the Bible says that we are sanctified in truth. And Jesus' prayer for you and me is that we are to be sanctified in truth and that the word of God is the truth. It's the only way that I can be a part of following Jesus and this act of transformation and sanctification or being set apart is I have to allow the Word of God to speak to me. I have to allow my heart to be open to what God wants to say and be softened to be able to respond to what God wants to say, my ears to be attentive, my eyes to be open to the truth because God, every time we come in this place, what God wants to do is he wants to continue to mold you and me and make you and me more into his likeness. It's not just a time on Sunday morning we gather for church. This is a time where the Holy God wants to do a great and mighty work in your life. It's an amazing opportunity every time we come. I think that's why when you look to the Psalms, that David, he came with expectation into the house of God. What could happen there? You mean to tell me, God, by your power in the course of 45 minutes, hour, hour and 15 minutes, whatever, in the course of that amount of time, I could leave this place being a different person than when I came? That's exactly what God wants to do. And that's the action he wants to take in our life. The Bible says from in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, the reason God wants to do this is because we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter's led by the Spirit to take this idea from the Old Testament, now apply it to the New Testament, that this is the work that God is doing because he has already set you apart. And now he wants to continue to transform you so that he can use you and others can look at your life and see the glory of God coming out of you. This is following Jesus. And it's continue. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, the Bible says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time, being Jesus Christ, those who are being sanctified. That means every single day, not just on Sunday, but every single day when I open the word of God, I am allowing God to change me to become more like him. That's the power of this word. I'm allowing God to to take my sinfulness, to take those things I struggle with and those things I wrestle with and to mold them so I might become more Christ-like. 
And it's not just for my benefit. It's for the benefit of every individual that God has already placed in your life so that they can see Christ coming out of you. That's why it's so important that we as God's people be in God's word. Really, that's what Paul had in mind in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. All those things we sang about, Jesus paid it all, and our God is, reigns, and if he's for us, who can be against us, and he loves us despite ourselves sometimes. Those are the mercies of God which Paul is referring to, and you can read Romans 1 through, chapter 1 through 11 if you want to get more detail on that. But he says, by these mercies, now we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And actually, that end of that phrase there in verse 1, in chapter 12, verse 1, means that this is the only logical response you should have. This is the only service that is appropriate to God. By everything he has done, that now I offer myself as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It means I die to myself and I say once again, God, have your way with me. Continue to mold me, shake me. Why is the point? So you will not be conformed to this world, but you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you may discern or you may know, you may understand, you may have your eyes open to see what the will of God is. How many of us would love to know what God's will is in our life? Yet, but the Bible gives us a roadmap. This is how you do it. It's that I say, okay, God, when I open your word, I'm not just reading words on a page. I'm hearing the voice of God wanting to transform me more into your likeness. It's an action. I'm allowing you to have your authority over my life so that you can make me so I'm not conforming to this world, but I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind so I can understand, I can discern what the will of God is, what is good and perfect and pleasing. Man, that's what God wants to do. This is part of following Jesus, is the act of transformation, the action that God wants to do in our life. And it's about being in God's word. Several places God instructs us to continue to be in his word. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore we may, must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. See, God wants to continue to work so we continue to grow up. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians chapter 2, verse 27 tells us why we need to do that. So that the manner of your life would be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that people would say, that is a Christian. Unfortunately, and you all know it, we've allowed Hollywood and TV to define what Christianity is. It's a punchline. And I believe that's because Christians are not allowing God to just come upon them and transform them and mold them. There are so many Christians, and I was guilty of this at one point in time. There are so many Christians that are the same spiritual age when they came to Christ and their salvation as they are 10, 15, 20, 30 years later. They have not grown. They have allowed God to transform them. I did that for 14, almost 15 years of my life. I was saved. I went to church. I did all the stuff you're supposed to do if you're a Christian. 
but I was not allowing God to speak to me and guide and direct me, and so I didn't know the will of God. I wasn't able to see it or discern it, and that got me into a lot of trouble, a lot of places that God never intended for me to get into. This is what God wants to do. This is following Jesus. It's the action of transforming us, and it is a continuous. That word go back in Matthew chapter 28, there in verse 19, therefore go or go therefore, is in the Greek participle. And I know that doesn't mean much to us because we don't read Greek. I don't either. I have a nice computer that tells me what the word sounds like and how it looks. Can't write it, can't read it, but thank God for, for electronics and stuff like that. It's in the Greek participle. And what it means when it says, therefore go, it actually means as you are going or as you go. So Jesus says, all authority in heaven has been given to me. And as you go... Which implies what? You're going to do this. As you are going about your life, as you are taking place in this action, which lets us know this is a continuous action on the life of a believer. Following Jesus is a continuous action. It doesn't end at salvation. It doesn't end at a certain age. You and I do not get to retire from the kingdom action of God. We don't get to, to turn in our book, well, I'm kind of old, I can't do it anymore, until God retires us. That's what retirement means, is God is going to retire us from the work of the kingdom. You may retire from your job that you earn income from, but God will never retire from using you for the kingdom. He calls you continuously to be a part of the kingdom. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. It says again in a chapter later, later, having been set free from sin, we have now become slaves of righteousness, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you did leads to sanctification. And following Jesus is recognizing Jesus' authority, but it's lead to a life of action and transformation and sanctification that is a continuous thing every day we take a breath on this side of eternity. God wants to continue to do the good work in you and me until we finally see him face to face. And praise the Lord, he wants to continually use you and me for his glory. Only God will retire you. When you retire, it's going to be nice. But that word go, man, that word go, a couple things come to my mind when I think of the word go. If, you got a, if you're a parent, you can probably relate to this one. I use that word go most often throughout the week, when I have to tell my kids, it is time to go, right? We're going to be late, you know, school in the morning, get in the mall, get your shoes on, get your backpack, get your coat. Uh, we've got to go. We're going to be late. If you don't get moving, we've got to go. Maybe you don't have kids and you can't relate to that because your kids are little angels. You know, we'll pray blessings on you later. But maybe you could relate to that this morning. How many of y'all... We're, we've got to go or we're going to be late to church. Yeah, we've we got to go. And, and that just puts you in an attitude of worship, doesn't it? When you've got to rush and you've got to find where are the keys, where are the shoes, where, and so we've got to go. And, and so you're, you're trying to get them out the door. There's something you've got to do. There's something that has to be done. That's one way that comes to mind. The other way that comes to mind is a little less reverent, um, but it's when I have to go to the bathroom. And one thing that came to my mind when thinking about this is because when I said, well, I got to go, 
is, you know, every year we've been blessed for the last several years to be able to go with Jamie's parents down to Gulf Shores or in that general vicinity on vacation. And, and so every year but last year, we would follow Jamie's folks because we, we lived about 45 minutes from them. So we'd meet and then you know, kind of in Rolla and then we would just drive down and head down to the Gulf. And so it would be a nice caravan of about 16 hours in the car. Now, men, being a man, we want to lead, right? We, I mean, we want to lead. We, we want to go a certain speed or certain pace. There's certain places that we, we want to stop to eat. And when we have to go... We want to go, right? I mean, we want to be in charge. And so here I am in the car following Jamie's dad, who is a driver's ed instructor, retiree. So he is very by the book on the road. And I'm driving and Jamie makes this comment almost every year. She still makes it, even though we don't follow him until the second day. She says, okay, let's just be good so we don't ruin vacation for everyone. <laughs> everyone? And so just what she's telling me is you need to respect my father. Just respect my dad. You know, let's not make it so we get down there and he's grumpy and, and let's, just, let's just respect my dad and we'll go. And so we're driving down and <clears throat> just a couple of things he knew about Jamie's dad is he, on, on the road, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I know I'm not. Um, <clears throat> he knows exactly where he wants to stop and when he wants to stop. So the entire route down to the Gulf, he stops at the exact same places for meals, bathroom breaks, and gas. The exact same place for lodging at night. Am I correct? I'm correct. Okay. This is fine because he says he does it because he knows these places are safe. He knows these places are places you can go and you have kids and you can get in and out real quick and you don't have to worry about all that, which is a good thing to know. But so we're driving down. We usually leave on a Friday morning. We're driving down, and we just stopped uh, to go. And we get back in the car, and we start driving. It's about 20 or 30 minutes down the road that my body and mind is reminding me that my coffee is not fully flushed out. And so, but her dad told us right before we got in the back of the car, okay, we're going to stop in another three hours. And so I'm thinking in my head, I'm having this battle. I have to go. I can't ruin it for everyone. And we're stopping in three hours. And so if you've ever been in that position, I'm driving. And it, it, you all know the move, right? When you have to go and it starts with that, that knee shake. And so I'm driving and I got this knee shake, which is unnoticeable at the time. I'm going, and I'm, I'm focusing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing songs on the radio. I'm going to engage in conversation, not with my kids, because they're like in electronic land, but with Jamie, and we're going to talk, and it's going to be so happy. And then the intensity arrives, and you, know, you hit on the cruise control, and, and you're talking, and you're singing, and then... You know. So she begins to see, and eventually you just come to squirm, right? So she begins to see I'm doing all these dance moves in about a two to three foot area. And she looks at me and says, what is wrong with you? <laughs> now, at this point in time, I have been fighting this for a good hour. And so I wish I acted like Jesus that morning. But it was more like Chris Farley Saturday Night Live. I was like, get off me, man. I got to go. And she gives me this wide eye look that hus or wives can only give to their husband 
The little hand of, you ever have that? Calls her folks up and say, hey, I think we need to stop and go to the restroom. And I hear on the other end, well, that's good because we really had to go. We just didn't know. I can blow things out of proportion. But that's the idea, is that this go is a call of action of urgency. It's of immediacy. It, it needs to happen now. It has to be something that is so overwhelming our mind when we try to go somewhere else. We try to ignore it. We try to shake a leg. We try to breathe heavy. When we try to take our mind somewhere else in different conversations that we just can't get it off our mind because we have to go. See, as believers, here's what we believe. We believe that there is a God. He created the heavens and the earth, and we may not be able to fully rationalize that in science books and things like that, or how God could do that in six days and still have a day for a nap. It doesn't matter. I just trust that that's what the Word of God says, so I'm going to trust it. I don't have to have it all figured out, praise the Lord. But I believe He created the heavens and the earth, and I believe He knows me inside and out. And He knows every individual on this planet. And he knows every individual's relationship with him. That they're still either in their sin or they are saved. They belong to him. And so as, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we know this. And we know that Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved and forgiven. The only way our sins can be removed from us. The only way that we can have the promise of eternity in heaven with God. We know this. We know that if someone does not have Jesus Christ in life, they're lost. They're heading for hell. We know this. And we also know that as Jesus prepared his disciples, as he was getting ready to go, he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you because I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to where I am going. And we know this. We know one day, and the Bible's very clear that we don't get to know which day, well, we know one day, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. This could be the last year you see on earth. We know that the Bible says it's coming, so you need to be alert. You need to be ready. You need to be watchful. We know that he is going to come back, and when he comes back, there are no second chances. There are no reset buttons. There are no redos. It will be final. You have, either with, you have either accepted Jesus Christ or you haven't. You're either with him or against him. And when that moment comes, when Jesus Christ comes on this earth to take those who belong to him, it will be set in stone. Here's the thing, we know this. We also know that there's not a person in this room and a person in our life that is promised tomorrow. Accidents happen every day. People pass away by unforeseen circumstances all the time. And we know every individual that we lock eyes with every single day, this could be the last time we have a conversation with them. We know this. And we know that if they don't know Jesus Christ, they're going to hell. We know this. This is the urgency of go. we know the truth 
and the truth that will set them free from their sin, from their slavery, from the wages or debt, debt, of, death, debt of sin that they have in their life. We know how they can be forgiven. We know the only way back to God. We know it, and that's why we go. So the Bible says that we are now ambassadors for Christ. We represent Him with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what do we need to know about following Jesus and going in this action? Turn with me back to Luke real quick. Luke chapter 24. Verse 46. It doesn't have to be complicated. It is written that the Christ should suffer on the third and on the third day rise from the dead. So it says that the Christ should suffer. How did Jesus Christ suffer? How did he suffer? On the cross. Why did he suffer on the cross? For our sins. And it killed him, right? We know this. And then it says he should suffer. So we know that it's on the cross for our sins. And he died. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. We know that story. We know the story of the rock and the angels and the disciples. We know that. We know he had to rise from the, dead, from the grave to show that we can have victory over sin, which is killing us. We know that. And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. We know this. We know that I have to first come to a place where I admit that I'm a sinner before God. We know that when I believe that God loves me, that Jesus suffered for me, they placed him in a tomb, but he rose on the third day. And I believe that in my heart and confess my mouth. We know that that means I'm going to be saved. And we know by that confession that I'm now a child of God. And what God does now is he calls me to witness to that. We know this. So you don't have to have a plaque on your wall or even years and years of Bible study under your belt. We know the truth that will set men free. That's why we go. I don't know where you are this morning, but if you've yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible is clear in the most loving way possible that God wants you to know you are separated from a God who loves you. That's why we as a harvest as a Harvest Hill Church, that's why we go. That's why I preach the gospel. Because there's no other message that needs to be heard besides that God loves you. He sent His only Son to die for your sins, die for my sins. They placed Him in that tomb, but on the third day He rose from the grave to give us victory over sin and death. The Bible says, when I believe, okay, I believe God, I believe you love me that much. I believe Jesus did that. I've heard this enough that I believe it's true. The Bible says, when I believe it in my heart, the next step is I have to confess it. That's, that means publicly. I have to let it be known. And so when we come to this time of invitation, that's exactly what is offered to you. To walk down this aisle and, and to tell me, to tell someone, I, I want Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus died for my sins. I know he rose again. I want Jesus. And this is the invitation. Maybe you're here and, and you've accepted Jesus Christ, but you've yet to follow Him in baptism. You've yet to take that step of, of, of being under His authority, of trusting Him and being obedient to that. Maybe that's something you need to come and let be known this morning. I need to be baptized. I believe all that. 
I just need to be baptized. I need to follow Jesus in that example. Maybe you're here and you're like me. And you know all this stuff. You've been to church your entire life. But you're like me and God convicted me this week that there's been a lack of urgency on my part. There are people living all around me and I don't know for sure if they know Jesus. And I haven't been going to them. And that's something I had to repent of this week and I finally met my neighbor from across the street. They're moving. But I told him about Harvest Hill. I told him about the church and about God is good. All the time. Glad we got our kids in with us today. Keep me on my toes. But I don't know where y'all this morning are this morning, but it's time to go. Almost. Maybe here you accept Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask Charlie to come on down. And you can just come and talk with Charlie. We're going to sing a song of invitation. You're stuck with me for one more tune. It's just a cry out to God, Lord, I need you. We're weak, but we need God to just come and God to come in power. So if you need to accept Jesus Christ, I'm going to invite you to come. You can talk to Charlie. Jason, why don't you come on down too? If you just need someone to pray with you, grab one of these guys. They'll pray with you. Um, if you want someone to come with you, grab the person next to you and say, hey, come down with me. Uh, I, need to, I need to do this right now. But it's time for action. It's time to respond. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you for empowering us to go in your name and bring glory to your kingdom and to be about what you were about on this earth. Thank you, Lord. We don't have to do it on our own. We can just completely rely upon you, completely trust in you. And Lord, you say, just go. Just go. Be a light. Be a salt. And so, Lord, help us as a church continue to be going into this world. And Father, I pray for the individuals here this morning that that do not know you or have yet to. Let it be known that they know what you've done for them through Jesus Christ. And they need to make that a public confession of faith this morning. I pray that your spirit just come upon them so much to give them courage or just make it to a point where they can't stay where they are, but they have to go. They have to move. Let this time be pleasing to you as we respond to the word you've given us. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.